All right, welcome to Divine Judgment Lesson 1. And we're calling this just simply an introduction to Divine Judgment. There's a lot of things I've got to cover here and then kind of... Um, I don't know, this lesson will be like circling the wagons, and then once we've circled the wagons in the next few weeks, we'll start fine-tuning and fine-honing um, the, the subject. And I've got, to, I've got a disclaimer at the very last, and I'll read it to you now, because I'll read it to you in the end, that this curriculum endeavors to present a working doctrinal model of divine judgment, and it will be subject to adjustments as the subject is further studied. And this might be one of those uh, lessons that we come back in a year or two and tweak it again and teach a few lessons again. But we need to talk about divine judgment. This is probably on our heart right now because the whole of the world is under some kind of quarantine. Folks are asking all sorts of questions, not just of me, but of preachers around the world. Is this is coronavirus in the book of Revelation? Is this one of the seven seals? Is this one of the seven trumpets? Is this one of the seven bold judgments? So judgment is kind of in the air, or at least the thought of it, the question of it, the concern of it. And before we jump in straight to just divine judgment, divine wrath, and divine cursing, imprecations, and what have you, we need to, um, what we need to do is understand judgment in general. So let's look at this first part of this lesson here. Uh, let's read through our curriculum. Often, any mention of the judgment of God conjures up images of anger, wrath, hellfire, brimstone plagues, and death. And though these might be examples of God's judgment, they do not demonstrate the fullness of a biblical judgment. Even though, um, even though these are examples of what we might call the wrath of God or extreme judgment, these are not the fullness of what we're going to call biblical judgment. The purpose of these lessons is to set forth a solid doctrine and biblical understanding of the judgment of God and to help believers familiarize themselves with the nature of God and the types of judgment the Bible records. So we're going to study this not to put fear on anybody, not to put doom and gloom on anybody, but to understand the nature of our God. Part of studying the Bible is so we can know our God better. And the more we know our God better, the more we can understand the Bible and how it records things. And the more we study what the Bible records, the more we can know our God. It's a catch-22. First, this first lesson is to provide a very broad overview of the subject and so it's going to be kind of buckshot. It's going to be scattered shot all over the place. And really, as I was writing this this week and a little bit of last week, I was pulling notes from other places and even other sermons I've taught in other churches over the years. And I'm trying to kind of build this pattern of, uh, of this subject of divine judgment. And then we'll start to fine tune it and look at different avenues. And some of these, again, are just their working theories. They're working hypotheses. We look at scripture. We look at stories. We look at uh, parables in the Bible, we look at history in the Bible, we look at prophecy in the Bible, and they help build an image and a picture. And now we've got to come up with a doctrine that explains what we're looking at here. And the more we study our Bible, the more we can tweak and adjust our doctrine to accommodate for these other stories, these other examples, these other parables, these other prophecies. We will dig deeper in the coming lessons. So first and foremost, we got to understand the Lord is the righteous judge. Right now, America is so allergic to any kind of judgment as far as, oh, you're being judgy. Oh, that just sounds so judgy. I don't like Christians. They're so judgy. That church is so judgy, 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 judgy. It's almost like it's the coronavirus and we're keeping six feet of separation from anything that even remotely looks like criticism. 
Of course, social media hasn't helped us in the last 10 years. Anybody that was thin-skinned has no skin now. Anybody with thick skin is now thin-skinned. That is the fruit of social media. Nothing else has really come of social media except for filters, Instagram, and insecurity issues, oh, and suicide. So really, social media has been like the weakening of most Western culture. And some of you who are listening, that's your testimony too. We need to understand first and foremost, the Lord is the righteous judge. That is one of his divine names. The reality is that we must quickly come to terms, or the reality we must quickly come to terms with is simply the Lord is the righteous judge. God is not a judge. God is the judge, period. He is judgmental. So get over that buttercup. God is judgy. God is judgmental. This, this has been one of my personal soapboxes for 13 years. God is judgmental. He is the righteous judge. And you know what? Every human being is judgmental. And it is hypocritical to call somebody judgmental. Did you know that? To call somebody judgmental makes you a hypocrite because to call somebody judgmental, you have to be judgmental yourself. So how about we just live and let live? Judge and let judge. The very fact that we have these two things in grammar called adjectives and adverbs These are descriptive terms. And in order to accurately communicate in the English language, you have to be judgy. We have to be able to explain something is cold. Why would you use that adjective? Well, because you judged that it was cold. Or this is too hot. It's Goldilocks. Goldilocks is one of the most judgmental parables. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too lumpy. It's too soft. This is just right. According to Goldilocks, it's not the golden rule. It's the Goldilocks rule. So the hypocrisy of our weak-kneed, sissified, soulish, carnal nation is that we are so allergic to judgment. Unless, of course, you want to be good at something. Soldiers love judgment. Navy SEALs love judgment. Olympians love judgment. Sports teams love judgment. Academic excellence loves judgment. The only thing that being allergic to judgment is going to give you is failure, total failure in life. And so you just have to grow up, get some thick skin, and realize that Even judgment coming from a critical person, someone who doesn't like you, is still good for you. We were taught on the playgrounds of the 70s and 80s, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. So just grow up and get over it. My pastor has taught us mature saints, preachers, that you've got to be able to look for the truth coming from even your worst critics. And he he said this, those that love you don't care what you do. They're not going to be critical of you. But those that hate you, those that want to slander you, they're looking for flaws. And so they're probably going to find one or two. So the mature saint can find truth and even in the harshest critics, criticism. And you and I are going to have to get that way and quit worrying about what the world thinks. God is judgy. (laughs) Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. By the very fact the Bible describes evil and good lets you know that God is constantly judging The Bible talks about the scales of justice and the scales of God. Anytime you put something in a scale, it's being judged. All of life runs on judgment. Ultimately, God's judgment rewards good but punishes evil. And this is the heart of judgment. Judgment will, and maybe maybe I need to back up and say this. If we can understand that God is judgy and your mommy is judgy and your professor is judgy and your boss is judgy and the police officer is judgy so that they can reward good and punish evil, then maybe you won't be so allergic to judgment next time it rolls around. 
And if you didn't know, you are subject to a thousand judgments probably every hour of your life. And some of them you're okay with because you don't know they're taking place. And others, you're just so middle school in your heart that they just cause your little world to turn into a tailspin. We cannot have one judgment without the other. And the good news is if God has ever punished your evil, he's also faithful to reward your good. And if he rewards your good, he's also going to punish your evil. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I'm so thankful for some good old godly, old-fashioned parents who taught me to be a gracious winner and not a sore loser, because both of those you have to manage. And probably the worst thing we've done in our culture in the last 34, 40 years is uh, tell our kids how awesome they are and never point out where they needed correction. So now we have a whole generation of kids allergic to judginess, and uh, they think they're awesome, and none of this is true. It's produced a greater entitlement uh, mindset than even the, the New Deal did <laughs> 70, 80 years ago. With that also being said, God is also perfect, and he wants us to be like him. If we're going to be like our God and represent him in the earth, we must have a biblical understanding of proper righteous judgment. So here's, here's where we get permission to judge. God is the righteous judge, and he says, I am holy, I am perfect, be like me. So if we're going to be like him in this area, we've got to also be able to righteously, accurately judge. And that's one of the verses you should know. God, Jesus Christ said, judge righteous judgment. Uh, every one of us has some aspects of our life and our soul that is very much like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we've got black spots or dark spots or blind spots or flat spots. I've dealt with folks over the years who they were wise as serpents, but they weren't gentle as doves. And I've dealt with folks who were gentle as doves, but they had no wisdom about them at all. And it may be we're trying to lovey, lovey, lovey everybody, and we're not doing biblical judgment. Probably right now in our nation, our nation is drunk, infatuated in love with social justice. But social justice is pretty much devoid of the judgment of God, righteous judgment. And so you feel bad if you're a carnal, immature Christian, if you're not part of a social justice movement. Well, because we as Christians, we're supposed to stand for what's right. Right. And God's word is right. You know, like some folks will condemn you if you don't help every homeless person. Well, righteous judgment won't help every homeless person. Jesus Christ didn't help every person when he was on planet Earth. I have in my life probably stopped and helped one, two, maybe three hobos, homeless people on the side of the road. And I did so every time under the unction of the Spirit of God. I just felt like I needed to do something. There's been times I went to go pull over, pick up a hitchhiker, and the Spirit of God so arrested me, I changed lanes faster than a motorcycle could. You just don't need to pick that guy up. We've got to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And don't listen to the world. Listen to your Bible. Listen to your God and judge righteous judgment. Now, I'm going to offend a couple of you. I was invited uh, two or three, four years ago when the whole Black Lives Matters thing kicked off to go march for that one kid that was shot by the police officer because uh, that's, that's social justice. And, you know, the, the, the rhetoric in the earth is that cops just have like an open license on, on black people. And the rhetoric is that cops just patrol the streets looking for Negroes to shoot. That's the rhetoric. And I told, I, I said, told my wife, I said, I'm not, I love that brother. I love that pastor friend of mine, but I'm not marching with him over that because anybody that fights a cop, punches a cop, wrestles with the cop and grabs the cop's gun deserves to be shot. I don't care if he's black, 
white, Hispanic, Asian, polka dot. I don't care if it's an orangutan, a dog, or a seal. You wrestle with a cop when all he did was pull you over and you go for his gun, he has every right to shoot you as many times as he wants to. And it's not racism. It's preservation of justice. Amen. Amen. And so that's, that, there's a righteous judgment there. And, I, and so where's Black Lives Matters now? Everybody from Black Lives Matters descended on towns like Baltimore, helped burn the town to the ground. And all those rich academics who were pushing Black Lives Matters went back to their upper middle income houses of academia and left those hoods and those ghettos burned and scorched out. And there's all sorts of academic papers written now about the wickedness of the Black Lives Matters movement and how it pimped blacks and made money for smart people and left the hood the way the hood was found, except worse because now there's less buildings and less business. And I don't want to get off on all this, but we're talking about divine judgment and what we might call righteous judgment. All right, so if we offended you with that little thing, you got to grow up and get over it and show me where I'm wrong with my observations. If we're going to be like our God and represent him in the earth, we must have a biblical understanding of proper righteous judgment. Crino, the New Testament judgment. Often people ignorantly believe that the New Testament in general and Christians in particular are 100% free from any kind of judgment because of the work of Christ at Calvary. That, that's kind of a common vibe in the church today. I'm picking up on it more and more from denominational folks, even charismatic folks. Dr. Barclay says it this way. He says there's this vibe, and he doesn't say vibe, that's my word, but he says basically we're living in a day where folks think it was God that got saved at Calvary. And now he's different, and we can do anything we want to because now God got saved, and he's not this mean, old, judgy God anymore. That is heresy. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We get saved at the cross of Calvary, but judgment is still everywhere in the New Testament, even in the Gospels, even at the cross, even in the book of Acts. This sentiment fails to understand the nature of divine judgment as revealed in the New Testament. All Greek New Testament judgment begins with the Greek root word krino. So let's look at a couple bullet points here I have. I've done a massive word study for you on krino. I taught this at a conference a couple years ago. And uh, this kind of kicks that whole God is not judgy. Who are you to judge? Stop being so judgy. The New Testament is free from judgment. Ignorance. The folks that believe that typically have Instagram accounts where they like take pictures of their coffee and their Bible study. And that's the depth of their Christianity. And I call that shallow filtered Christianity. <laughs> so let's see what the Bible actually has to say. The, the Greek root word krino means to separate to distinguish, to decide between, to judge, to approve, to determine, to condemn. That's the root word, krino. It means to separate, distinguish, decide between. Did you know that when you're looking at Coca-Cola in the Coca-Cola aisle at Walmart and you're thinking, do I want Diet Coke or Coke Zero? Did you know you're being judgy? Did you know you're exercising New Testament Greek krino? You are deciding between. You're determining and approving one or the other. Which chemical substitute for sugar? Do I want the one that kills rats when injected into the brain, 56 quadrillion parts per million in a 24-hour period? Or do I want the new one that hasn't been proven yet? Or do I just want good old-fashioned corn syrup and go walk an extra two miles today? 
you are exercising biblical crino. You are so judgy. <laughs> crino is used 114 times in the New Testament. Sounds like the New Testament's a little judgy. I thought, I thought things changed at the cross. The Crino family in the Greek New Testament has 23 cognates. That is, 23 other words that use Crino as its foundation and then add prefixes or suffixes to it to create new words that all imply some other kind of judginess. These words include, and I'm going to read them all just to impress you with the Greek I don't know. A katakritos, anacrino, anacresis, apocrino, autocatacresis, diacrino, diacresis, uh, diakiocresia, encrino, elacrinia, which means judged in the pureness of the sun's light. That's a really cool Greek word picture because it basically, when you were dying something or tie-dying something or baptizoing something, you would hold it up into the light of the sun to see where the dye had not run evenly through the whole thing. So it's judging it in light of the sun's purity. Pretty cool Greek word. It's only used two or three times in the New Testament. Elacrinus, epicrino, catacrima, catacrino, catacresis, crema, crisis, criterion. Does that word sound familiar to you? It comes through the Latin into the English. What's the criterion? What's the criteria? You have certain criteria to get the job. You have to have a certain resume criteria to even be interviewed. You have to have a criteria to get into high school. You have to have a criteria to get into college. You have to make, meet a certain criteria to make the sports team. Are you recognizing that everything in life is judgy? Absolutely. Critus criticos, critical, to be critical. Procrima, suncrino. Hupacrinomai. These words are translated throughout the New Testament to judge, to approve, to determine, to condemn, to distinguish, to pick, to choose, estimate, examine, investigate, to search the scriptures, to bring to trial, to lead, to rule, decision, verdict, justice, court, a decider, to discern accurately and precisely the word, to sentence, condemnation, doom, punishment, make a distinction, to separate, to discern, insight, to reckon, to accept, to approve, compare, sincerity, evidence, tribunal, preference, evaluate, to class together, to pretend, to answer. The Greek word translated to answer has at its root the word judgment, and it's used over 256 times. And the reason is you can't answer someone without doing a lot of judgment. How are you doing today, Bob? There's your question. To answer truthfully or just answer period, you have to judge. How are you doing today, Bob? What do they mean? That's a judgment call. Are they sincere? Are they genuinely concerned? Do I want to open up my heart to them? Do I want to be honest with them? Is it a good day? Is it a bad day? Are they asking just as a pleasantry? Are they asking because they, they want to know what's going on? Are they asking because they heard about my mama dying? Are they asking because they know I might have the coronavirus and now I'm back out in public again without a face mask on or a face shield or body armor? To answer requires judgment. And we're living in a day where the church, the heretics, the easy church, the seeker church, the hyper-grace folks are teaching no judgment at all. If you're going to be true to that doctrine, then you just have to be a deaf-mute pantomime living up in a monastery somewhere. And even then, if you were to signal to your fellow monk, you're hungry, can't. That's judgmental. 
It's judgmental. You, you're examining that. I, I judge my stomach, and my stomach's growling, and now I'm communicating. Please do something. You see how weak the entirety of the modern population has become. Souls that are so cowardly and weak, we know not how to suffer anything. And, so we, and then we force those beliefs on other people. These 23 cognates are used 312 times in the New Testament. So 23 cognates on top of the Croesus, which was used, what did we say, how many times was that? Uh, 114 times. We're already at almost 500 uses of some form of judgment just on the basis of Croesus alone. And this does not include any of the 39 synonyms of Crino or their cognates. You know what a synonym is, right? You, You studied third grade English. A synonym is a word that means the same thing, but it sounds different. 39 other words are used in the New Testament for judgment. The, conclusion. Sound New Testament doctrine includes more than just loving your neighbor and helping the stranger, which is what the secular progressive Christianity is all, all it's concerned with. There is a lot of judgment involved in sound New Testament Christianity. But I guess I should throw in there, not all judgment is condemnation to hell. So we, we got to qualify that right off the bat. Not all judgment is condemnation to hell. But that's where we're being taught that it is. We're being taught that if I'm critical of you, if I point out your sin or your flaw, then I'm condemning you to hell. That's the furthest thing from the truth. But we are living in a day where public schooling is just so, I want to use a couple words here, vapid, just so weak. You just compliment Compliments don't help everybody all the time. There's, there's got to be structural criticism to improve so people can know where they're at and know how to get better. Salvation and mercy can only be appreciated in the face of judgment and condemnation. So we have this next little subject here. Not all judgment is condemning. Many of the definitions from the New Testament Greek words for judgment are quite positive. And remember, we can't take the bad without the good, and we can't have the good without the bad. These words that I've pulled from that massive list just above, here are the positive words for judgment in the New Testament. To approve. Hey, you can't be approved unless somebody investigates you. Do you want to be approved? Sure, then you've got to subject yourself to criticism and judgment. To distinguish. How are you a distinguished gentleman? Well, they judge you compared to everybody else. But you can never be distinguished without judgment. To pick. Remember kickball? Dodgeball. I know they can't do that anymore because it actually might end up with a kid getting a dodgeball in the face. But back when we were, were boys were men, and now men are boys, back in like the 80s, 70s and 80s, when you know, we bled every day on the playground, we, every kid had a chipped tooth somewhere, we actually got to throw real live dodgeballs at people's faces. Huh. And we always, when we got to pick the team, we picked the strong, burly kids. We didn't pick pork chop. We picked the burly kids. But how did we do that? We lined them up, and we went back and forth. We remember how this worked. This was survival of the fittest. This was play, playground Darwinism. You, I want, I'll take you. I'm going to pick. You didn't want to be the last kid picked. And if you were always the last kid picked, something inside you said, I'm going to get better at dodgeball or kickball or whatever your sport was. To pick means you got to be uh, judged. Everything in life has a selection process. Even according to Darwinian evolution, that I don't believe in, even Darwinian evolution has a selection process. And if you're weak, you don't get picked. So we should probably say Darwinism is judgy. 
so judgy. Evolution, so judgy. Survival, the fittest. We need to give some entitlements to those that aren't the fittest. Have you not noticed modern academia is so inconsistent with its metrics of ethics? Lord of mercy. It's just kind of like now we want, all of a sudden the world wants to save lives, but we want to keep abortion clinics open while we try to save the older and elderly. So, wait, so we're, we're, now we want to save one end of the spectrum while we still murder the other at first end of the spectrum. Oh, man, the world is so retarded in its mental intellectualism. And yet the word of God abides true forever, and it does not change. It just is what it is. It's always had the same ethic, the same morality, the same standard, the same value for human life. Amen. Amen. How about to choose, to examine? Look, there's nothing wrong. You ever been to a medical examination? You had to have your annual physical? The doctor makes you stand up, drop trowel, bend over, look this, cough, turn your head to the left, raise your arm, run in place. He's examining you. He's being critical of you so he can make a judgment on to how to give you medicine, how to uh, perform a procedure, how to maybe uh, give you something. Nobody ever, well, actually, a year ago or, yeah, a year ago when I had my last annual physical, my, my doctor and I were talking and he was talking about how he can't even address some of his patients' obesity anymore because they get offended at him because they call him judgy. When he is their primary care physician, his job is to make sure they live a long life. And he says, we need to discuss your weight. Stop judging me, doctor. All right, then find another doctor. An examination to examine requires judgment. To make a distinction. To accept In order to accept, you've got to distinguish something. If you ever want to be accepted, you have to be subjected to judgment. To compare, maybe if we use the word compare, maybe that's the good political correct way of saying judging. I'm not judging you. I'm just comparing you. (laughs) To evaluate. I'm not judging you. I'm evaluating you. To class together. To, To... which of these is not like the other? Which of these doesn't belong? It's Sesame Street. It's that blasted public broadcasting system and that Marxist thing called Sesame Street. That taught us to be judgy because it taught us songs on the old TV show, The Electric Company, about which of these is not like the other, which of these doesn't belong. That's racist. Oh, my goodness. It's common sense. It's basic science. How else can you have kingdom, order, class, phylum, family, genus, species without classing things and making judgmental? Or maybe we just identify. I identify as a Douglas fir tree. So please class me together. I, I, I identify as a Native American midget. Call me Little Bighorn. Do you realize how retarded academia has come in the name of PhDs and brilliant logic and philosophy? And we're beyond that Bible. We're so smart now. No, you are a class A retard. I do like how in this coronavirus, we're noticing that only two genders are getting this disease, male and female. Somebody pointed out what happened to the other 52 genders. If I identify as a different gender, does that make me immune to COVID-19? Or is it actually real science just saying, we just didn't want to tell all the retards in class they were stupid? Is this little Johnny Dum-Dum? He identifies as a Pseudo-Suda Menzenzii Native American called Little Bighorn. Tomorrow he may identify as a goldfish. So, (laughs) He thinks he's the king of England today. 
Just hand him his lollipop and let him just hop off licking into the sunset. <laughs> to me, this is such common sense. <laughs> and, and the 10 people I have in the sanctuary are not helping me stay on target because they are finding such rich humor in my sarcasm. These synonyms and definitions for biblical judgment do not carry a negative connotation unless you're just so super sensitive. I don't know what to do. Many of them are actually encouraging, like to approve or to accept. Nobody, I got this new Apple card like a year ago or something. I got the Apple card. And uh, you could apply on your phone and you had to answer questions. And, and then you know what it said? You have been approved which means that Apple was judging me. But you know what? I wanted what was on the other end of that judgment, so I subjected myself to the evil, cruel, judgmentality, judginess of Apple Incorporated. And after I subjected myself to the judgment, it says, you've been approved. Your card is now found in your wallet. And I was given a credit limit based on my credit score. It's amazing when we want what's on the other side of judgment, we'll subject ourselves to it. But when we don't realize the reality of what's on the other side of God's judgment, we just want to bury our head in the sand like some foolish ostrich and act like it doesn't happen or try to change God by whining to him. If you'll subject yourself to the judgment of God, you get to have what's on the other side of that judgment, which is improvement, correction, or if you're a fool, eternal damnation. We should also recognize these types of judgment are part of normal day-to-day activities, which I've just proven quite thoroughly and sarcastically. To me, as a scientist, these terms sound necessary for just normal scientific inquiry. To choose, to examine, make a distinction, to compare, evaluate, class together. Those are science terms to me. So by the nature that we have a, a field of study called science, well, it looks like mankind isn't as allergic to judgment as the weak, soulish, carnal, immature people would have us to be. What does God judge? Well, a whole lot. The Bible demonstrates that God is impartial in his judgment, and he has exacted divine judgment upon everything in creation. Uh, The Bible is very clear. The first thing he ever judged were angels. So his first creation, according to the book of Job, were angels, and he judged them real quick. Sent a bunch of them to hell, and they are still in chains in eternal darkness. Um, these aren't all the scriptures, but some just worthy of looking at. God judges individuals, and we should understand that. He judged Ananias and Sapphira. He judged King Herod. He judged Hezekiah. You know, he judged Ahab and Jezebel. He also judges families. The very first judgment in Genesis was on a family, Adam and Eve. Judgment, bam, and out they went. He judges churches. Hopefully you can see we're getting bigger. Individuals, families, churches. He judges churches. Second Corinthians, Paul says, uh, I hope you get this straight because when I come to you, I don't want to be ruthless. In fact, I'm going to read that passage real quick because, again, the the modern seeker church is so cowardly, so limp-wristed, so weak-kneed, so just saccharine sweet. Paul said in second Corinthians 12, 20, for I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you as I want you. (laughs) and that I shall be found unto you such as you don't want. Lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, and tumults, and lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. 
Paul is saying, get it right so that when I come and see you, we have a happy time. God judges whole churches. As especially evident in Revelation chapter 2 when he told the church at Ephesus, I have something against you. You've lost your first love. Get it right or I'm shutting you down. He judges cities and regions. Sodom and Gomorrah should be the first to come to mind. It wasn't just Sodom, a city, and Gomorrah, a city. It was in the cities of the region roundabout. A whole region decimated. And, of course, he judged Egypt. Um, he judged, uh, that's, excuse me, that's, that's as a nation. Uh, woe unto you, Tyre and Zidon, Chorazim. He, these were cities that he said he was just absolutely judging. And, then, of course, Revelation, he judges Babylon, the whore, the great city, and it's, the sailors can see it smoking all together on fire. He judges nations. Exodus, he judged uh, Egypt. And Daniel, he judges the Medo-Persian Empire. He judges the Babylonian Empire. He judged the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire, and they all fell. And um, he also judged uh, Israel. He judges the whole earth by the very fact that he flooded the whole earth once and then he's going to destroy the whole earth with fire in the end lets you know he's not against destroying anything he ever created. And then just kind of throw you a curveball, he judged the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Psalm 22, quoted again in Matthew and Mark's gospel, says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, one of the judgments God enacts upon people and nations is forsaking wrath just turns his back on him. So the father even judged the son, but that was for our justification. Because he that knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So if God would judge his only son to damnation, to forsaking wrath, to three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, he's going to judge anything he wants to. And that's worth studying out because that may be a brand new concept to some of you. And that's okay. Like I said, we're studying the Bible together, looking at all of these uh, scriptures. Psalm 22 one says, why are you so far from my cries? Why are you so far from my help? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So what about New Testament judgment? Well, we, see, uh, we will see many of these verses again in future lessons. But for now, let us look at the picture the New Testament produces concerning judgment. So, John 7, 24, Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. So that's a command to the disciples. You and I are to judge a righteous judgment. 1 Corinthians 2, 5 says, spiritual people judge everything. So the more mature you are, the more judgmental you can be. Not condemning, not damning, but critical, investigatory, investigative. 1 Corinthians 3 says, we can't be rewarded without judgment. So there's that positive aspect of judgment. You can't be promoted without judgment. You can't be rewarded without judgment. Remember in the parable when the, uh, the master comes back and he lines up the three stewards and he says, show me what you've done while I've been gone. And he judges them. The five produced ten, the, the two produced four, the one produced nothing. And he had to judge them before he could say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Or you've been faithful over ten, I'll make you ruler over ten cities. Without judgment, we can't be rewarded. Paul thought nothing of being judged. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 4.3. He said, I don't, it does no big deal to me if you judge me. Paul also judged the Corinthian fornicator to a death sentence in a church service. A letter read out loud to the whole Corinthian church, and everybody knew who it was sleeping with stepmom. And Paul said, you deliver that person for the destruction of their flesh, that their spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 
That was done in a church service, probably on a Sunday morning. The church is commanded to judge those within the church. 1 Corinthians 5.12 says, Don't you judge the church? Don't you judge those within? The saints shall judge the world and angels in the last day. We can't even get Christians to judge themselves. The church is commanded to judge anything that pertains to this life. Self-judgment can prevent physical weakness, sickness, and premature death. So there's this element of self-judgment, which we'll probably get into in one of the next two or three lessons. Self-judgment prevents other forms of judgment, as verse 31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So you never know what kind of judgment you're preventing by evaluating and judging and being critical of yourself. Judgment is the part of the Lord's chastening designed to perfect and mature us. 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, But when we are judged of the Lord, we are chastened of Him. So not all of God's judgment is destruction, hellfire, brimstone, she-bears, and emeralds on your pudundum. Some of the Lord's judgment is just Him saying, Stop it. Don't do that again. Forgive that person. Go to church. Be faithful. Quit stealing the tithe. That's judgment too. It's called chastisement. You got to think about Hebrews 12. It says, You've forgotten the exhortation that speaketh unto men as unto children. My son despise not the chastening of the Lord. We're dealing with a whole generation of Christianity right now that has been taught to disobey Scripture by hating God's judgment. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, them he corrects or scourges or chastens, even as a son whom he receives. And if you receive not chastisement, then are ye bastards. Ye are illegitimate. We have a whole movement in the Western church teaching Christians how to be illegitimate bastards. They are what I call bastardizing ministries. They are teaching God's people how to divorce themselves from God by hating the correction of God. That is a terrifying concept that feels so good to the easy, sleazy church. God wouldn't judge anybody. God is a God of love. He's not going to send anybody to hell. You're a lying heretic. And that's why we're looking at all these scriptures. Prophecy is designed to convict and judge people, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 24. Philippians 1, 9, Paul said, I pray your love abounds with all knowledge and judgment. Love abounds with judgment. Judgment begins in the church, 1 Peter 4, 17. Judgment begins in the house of God. That's where it starts. And I make this point, nine of these 12 facets came from the Corinthian church. Remember the carnal church, the carnal church, the carnal church? Nine of these 12 little premises here came from the Corinthian epistles. Because the more carnal you are, the more judgment you need in your life. (laughs) It's like saying the worse you are, the more practice you need. So let me... Here's where I begin to present a hypothesis, kind of a working model like the Bohr model of the atom or any one of these other principles that's kind of the best explanation for what we can see in the Scripture. This is what I call the judgment spectrum. I've been working on this for a couple of days now, kind of scratching at it. I, I used to just simply say that there is a, a passive judgment and an aggressive or an active judgment. And then I realized I was, as I was looking at all the different examples of divine judgment throughout the whole Bible. It's a lot more than just a passive judgment and an an aggressive or an active judgment. So it's produced a spectrum like so many other things in the kingdom. 
Judgment spans a wide spectrum which can flow one of two ways as follows. Let's look at positive judgment. So maybe we're going to start really splitting this thing up like a good old biologist. We don't just have carnivores and herbivores. We also have omnivores. And some birds that are not mammals are omnivores, and some birds that are not mammals are carnivores. And you see how it starts to really, (laughs) it's judgment. We're starting to classify things. I'm calling it two types of judgment, positive judgment and negative judgment. Because you can't be rewarded without judgment, but that would be a positive judgment. So as I see it, as of right now, under the spectrum of positive judgment, you begin with self-judgment. God brings you correction. Judgment or self-judgment, depending on how mature you are. If God has to judge you, so be it. That brings forth correction. After you've been corrected, then there's evaluation. If you evaluated and you made the correction, there's approval. If approval's met, then you are promoted. And after promotion, there are rewards. It's a spectrum of judgment. If you always hover out there or hover down at the low end of correction and reevaluation and correction and reevaluation, the Lord's going to say, when are you going to get it? How long must I be with you? How long till you start writing five verses down over your problems and praying them every day? How long will you struggle with the same problem? At some point, you got to get it, go on to approval, promotion, and rewards. So that's what I call the spectrum of positive judgment. I've found no other teaching on this anywhere. Uh, It's just like nobody wants to touch it. The last 70, 80 years of social gospel has made us weak need in the eyes of God's judgment. We've been afraid to look into it. Uh, The Lord has taught me over the last 20 years to invoke his judgment upon me on a regular basis. I don't fear the judgment of God because I've inoculated myself with it. I pray over our church all the time. Lord, judge this church. Judge this ministry. Judge me. Judge my marriage. Judge my money. Show me where I'm wrong, Lord. And once I've prayed that, then I start pulling down the judgment of God on all the other churches and then our nation. But if you are so allergic to the judgment of God because maybe you don't understand it, you're going to stockpile for yourself a greater reckoning. I'd rather have it paid to me a little bit at a time. Don't do this. Stop that. That's good. Don't do that. When you hear that all the time, it doesn't bother you anymore. You don't fall apart when God says, stop it. You say, yes, sir. And unfortunately, some Christians are so insecure, they can't ever hear. They can't afford to hear. They can't handle hearing you're wrong. They can't handle hearing that. They fall apart. And if that's you, you're going to have to really grow up and hear the exhortation of God. If he's telling you you're wrong, it's because he loves you, he believes in you, and he has better for you. He's not mad that you're wrong. He just wants you to fix it. And maybe you fall apart because your parents were not good parents, but you got to grow out of that. Then we got negative judgment. We begin with self-judgment or judging yourself or God judging you. Correction comes again. If you don't make the correction, then comes a rebuke. If you don't get the rebuke right, God begins to resist you. We see in the New Testament, God resists the proud. You and I have both been resisted. That was a negative judgment in that it was working against us. If we still don't submit and start back over with reevaluating ourselves, making the correction, the resistance will transition to flat-out opposition. Resistance is you're just moving and God's not letting you. Opposition is God taking a step against you. There's a big difference between Him resisting you and God opposing you. After opposition, and you still won't submit, we see in the Bible there is abandonment. You can see all this played out perfectly in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ abandoned Jerusalem. In fact, Hebrew says he had to be crucified outside of the holy city. 
Amen. After abandonment, then you have wrath and vengeance, which is very aggressive, destructive. When God abandons a city, a town, even a person, though I know he doesn't leave us nor forsake us, but he can take his hand off of you, and then the devil just owns you, calamity owns you, the cares of the world own you, the corruption of the fallen world owns you. If you still don't get it, then the final option of God is to strike you himself. And that is very New Testament as well. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. Think about King Herod in the New Testament. Think about what, uh, what happens in the, the Revelation when the seals are opened by Jesus Christ in heaven and the trumpets are blown by the angels in heaven and the bowls are poured out by God in heaven. This is the wrath and the vengeance of our God. So judgment defined. The current Western culture demonstrates a strong aversion to nearly any form of judgment and therefore rejects any notion of divine biblical judgment. That being said, biblical judgment is a very wide subject with many facets and attributes. First and foremost, we must understand that not all judgment is punitive, condemning, or destructive. As we will see, some judgment is actually corrective, beneficial, and rewarding. Because judgment is part of God's nature and character, Judgment must also be part of our nature and our character. So here's the definition I have worked up. We might adjust it, but for today, it's the best I got. We will define divine judgment as the authority, right, and requirement of God's holy character and love to investigate all actions, all persons, and all assemblies. That includes nations and nations and assembly. Rewarding what is determined or judged to be righteous, but correcting and warning before punishing that which is deemed wicked. I think that's a pretty good summation of divine judgment. It is the mandate of God's holy character and love. God judges because he is holy and righteous. God judges because he is love. And so here's my disclaimer as we wrap up. This curriculum endeavors to present a working doctrinal model of divine judgment. It will be subject to adjustments as the subject is further studied. Amen. So that's kind of my circle of the wagons, broad buckshot, kind of a bunch of points on the, on the board. Let's start to consolidate and work this thing out together. So pray for me because I've, I've still got, this is really the only complete lesson out of all of these. I got a bunch of the rest of it is in working order, but I've got to really hammer on this thing and present a concise demonstration of, of wrath and judgment and vengeance, and that'll be coming in the weeks ahead. Father, we thank you for these lessons. We thank you for the future pod school listeners who will study this undoubtedly. We thank you for helping us understand your divine judgment. May we not fear judgment. May we not fear rejection. May we not fear your hand of correction. May we embrace it knowing that those you love, you correct, you scourge, you chasten because you love us, you believe in us, and you're investing in us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for these lessons in Jesus' name. Amen.